Welcome to Shatterproof. I am your host, Todd Callahan. You can connect with me on Instagram at Pastor Todd Callahan. You can download our app by searching Ignite Church VT on your Google Play Store or your App Store, or you can follow us online at IgniteChurchVT.com. We have a great conversation today. You don't want to miss it. Share this podcast, share this episode, and let's talk. Here we are on the day President Joe Biden decides to eliminate $10,000 off of student loans all over the country. Uh, throughout the nation, those who still owe student loan debt will get a $10,000 relief if they fall, uh, their, their income level falls beneath a certain, uh, a certain point. Now, you know, some people see it as, you know, a great blessing and a great help. And, and I just see it as enabling another generation to think that when they go out and they get in debt, that somehow the government, it's the government's responsibility to pay that stuff off. I just, I just don't, don't like that. I don't like the precedent that it's setting. And, you know, if you're going to benefit from it, you know, great. I mean, wonderful. But, you know, I, I don't think that that should be a reality that we live in or a precedent that the government should um, should should leave for future generations. If you take the debt out, you create the debt. It's your responsibility to pay it off. But, you know, elections have pinned people against one another, and we're continuing to see that happen throughout the nation uh, over the almost two years that, that President Joe Biden has been uh, in office. Uh, hatred has risen. There's a spirit of division that's just alive and well. And as I've been talking to people, I uh, went to a pastor's conference a couple of weeks ago in San Diego with Turning Point USA. Charlie Kirk did a phenomenal job with that pastor's conference. It was an honor to be there and a privilege to be with people all throughout the country, spiritual leaders, pastors uh, from all over the nation who are, are were fighting for the, the, the freedom to make sure that what happened two years ago never happened again, to make sure that we are in spiritual solidarity with one another, continuing to further the kingdom and ensure the liberties of of, of those who worship in spirit and in truth. But as, as we continue to see the divide take place throughout this nation, we've got to press into God more, uh, you know, not to be bitten by the enemy's venom and, and understand that even inside the kingdom, there's a then, there's a, there's a them and there's an us. There's people who are desiring a move of God and they're striving for a move of God. And then there's people who've gotten their fire insurance and they're good with that. And they're fine with that. And they're, they just want to be left alone. They, they, you know, they, they've, they've received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and that's where they've stayed. And in, even inside church circles, some people you know, oftentimes get frustrated with others, saying, I don't know how to deal with them. I don't know what to say. We're at odds politically with each other. We're on different spiritual levels. How do we deal with all this? So there's all of this judgmentalism inside of the church. And some of the questions that I get are, why are people so difficult to deal with? And so I flip that question around and I ask them, are you a difficult person? Because while, while I'm talking to you on this podcast today, we all are going to have pictures of other people's faces in our minds. But while you may have other people's faces in your head, they just might have your face in their head. Because <laughs> life is a journey on how to fix yourself and become the fruit God called you to be. It's not anybody else's responsibility to fix you. Just like it's not the government's responsibility to pay off your debt that you created. It's nobody else's responsibility to fix you. 
It's a journey on how to respond to difficult people. Listen, I can't control people, but I can learn how to control my response. And oftentimes it makes certain situations in life to bring you to that realization. And if you have been in ministry or you've been serving in ministry for a certain period of time, you understand that there are just some things you can't say. You may think them, you may feel them, you just don't articulate them because you know if you articulate them, there's going to be fallout on the, on the other side. So you just think them and they're in your mind, you just don't allow them to be spoken. And as we head into the end of 2022, it's interesting to see how relationships have played out over the past two years and how they've kind of matriculated and grown um, uh, this year, especially in difficult topics and difficult situations. But I believe that there are things that the enemy meant for evil that God's going to turn around and use for good. And he's going to allow you to see the people you need to run with and the people you need to let go. That's why Matthew specifically says you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So how do we know if they're a good friend? How do you know if you need to date them? If you're in a dating situation, how will you know if you're supposed to open your heart to this person? you will know by their fruit. You cannot fool somebody forever. Eventually the fruit is going to tell somebody what kind of tree you really are. You can fool them for a little while, but eventually the fruit's going to call out the tree and expose it. And, and I, you know, I may, I may not be able to tell just by looking at the tree, but eventually the fruit is going to tell me what's inside of somebody. Now that's not judgmentalism. And oftentimes Christians will often say, well, you know, you're looking at what's on the outside or you're looking at what they've said or what they've done. That's fruit. That's fruit of what's inside. I don't have to run with everybody just because I'm a Christian. And this, this method of, uh, that, that ideology or that uh, method of thinking that you, just because you're a Christian, you've got to run with everybody who comes into your sphere, that's completely ridiculous. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us to guard the garden of our heart. We're to make sure what gets in is going to benefit what comes out of us. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And one of my favorite expressions when talking about people and, and relationships, and if you've been in relationships with people uh, like I have in ministry for many, 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 many years, um, it, it's this statement. Disappointment is the offspring of false expectations. Disappointment is the offspring of false ex expectations. If you've ever been disappointed, it's because you put an expectation of someone and they failed to meet your expectation. And the Bible says, if this keeps happening, it will make your heart sick. The Bible says that out of your heart will flow the issues of life. So the devil did not create your issues. Your heart did. And we like to blame everything on the devil that rests in the world and, 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 and you've been infected by the devil and you've been impacted by the devil. But what I have happening in me internally will end up eventually defining my reality. So if I'm frustrated inside, I'm going to frustrate those around me. If I'm tormented inside, I'm going to really bother those around me who are not tormented. If I'm bitter inside, guess what kind of environment I'm going to create? I'm going to create a bitter environment. Whatever is going on in my heart, if I'm polluted inside, I'm going to pollute any environment I get put in. That's why when we, when we are looking at culture right now, we are in the world, not of the world. We're in the world, not of the world. That means there are things that we are going to be exposed to that we cannot allow to get in us. 
We have to keep the heart clean and flushed so our life remains clean. So there are certain things we have to look for so we aren't disappointed. Now, it's not like when you leave, uh, you know, you, you leave from, from, say you're leaving from church one day, uh, you know, and you feel really good and, and pastors just uh, filled up your, your, your spiritual gas tank. You're still not going to be able to manage every single relationship that you come across and never, ever be disappointed again. The fact is you can save yourself a bunch of heartbreak if you know how to properly put your expectations on a person. Because when you misplace your expectations, you're going to have a ton of problems that are headed your way. And if, you know, if I were to ask people who are single and, and desire to get married one day, and I, and I have before, I've talked to people who, you know, feel as though they're never going to get married. They're never going to find the right guy. They're never going to find the right girl. I'm just going to live my life single the rest of my life. I ask them, what are you looking for in, in a good friend and a guy and a girl that you want to date? And after all my years of ministry, it's, it's, it's incredible that after all these years of ministry, I still hear things like, I want someone who's fun. I want someone who likes to travel, someone who can take risks, someone who's got a sense of humor, someone who's easy to talk to, uh, someone who isn't over-emotional, uh, but is in touch with their emotions. And when I hear people talk about the kind of person, you know, they want to work for, if someone's going through some work struggles, and I jotted these down because it, it, it's a trip. People say, well, I want my boss to be easygoing. I mean, come on, for real. Someone who doesn't micromanage, someone who's okay with me making mistakes, someone who pays well, so you're okay with making mistakes and you want to be paid well. Good luck with that. Someone who is always happy, someone who doesn't have crazy expectations. But let me say this to, to maybe you feel in the relationships, maybe I listed a couple of relationship qualities that you, that you believe uh, are right. And maybe I mentioned some work qualities that you believe are right, but none of those things have to do with character. And so if we look at, if you go to Proverbs 31 and read about the virtuous woman, you're not going to find personality traits, men. You will find traits of character. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, none of those are feelings. They are all commitments. I was telling someone the other day when I put people through marital, uh, premarital counseling or if I'm having that initial conversation with somebody about getting married, as soon as I, and this has happened twice in all the weddings that I've done, I've done I can't, countless, countless weddings um, over the years, but I've had two individuals or two couples come to me and say, these are our prenups. And immediately I say, no, I'm not doing it. If you are going into the wedding already assuming and thinking that there might be a possibility this isn't going to work out and we want to make sure that we have, uh, you know, we, we've course charted our way out of this marriage so that, um, uh, you know, we're not offended and, and everybody gets what everybody deserves and there's no fight on the backside. If that's how you're going into marriage, I'm not going to be the one who brings you into covenant. Not doing it. So, what we've got to understand, while the church should be built by character, oftentimes we assess it wrongly. I would rather have someone with great character than someone tormented inside or someone with a great skill set. I want someone with great character. Why? Because I want to be able to trust you. I don't want you in my circle if you don't have great character. I don't care what you do. You're not running with me. I hate not being able to trust. I want my relationship with somebody to be able to keep me at peace, not give me anxiety. Can I get an amen where you are? Come on. <laughs> See, people, people will take the fact that you're a Christian. Can I be real for a minute? People will take the fact that you're a Christian and use it against you. Well, I thought you were a Christian. You're supposed to love everybody. Well, I do love you, but that doesn't mean I trust you. Trust has to be earned. I've been commanded to love everybody. I have not been commanded to trust everybody. If trust is not earned, 
then I don't have to give it to you. It's got to be earned and it's got to be qualified. You know, trust is qualified by character. Character has to do with intimacy with God. That's why Matthew 7 says, do not judge so that you will not be judged for in the way you judge, you will be judged. In other words, if you dish it out, you better be ready for what comes back at you. Now, some people just stop there and they say, the Bible says not to judge. It does, but there's also a a verse 2 that says, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. So if you're hard on everybody else, don't expect to swim in an ocean of mercy either. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. Now, watch what you're sending out because it's coming right back to you. And I'll tell you, no matter how perfect you are, you're going to screw up sometime and need some grace. Verse 3 says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Isn't it amazing how many people are experts at solving your problem, and, and, and yet they've never had your issue, but yet they're experts at solving your problem and not having solved their own problem? People want to tell me what to do with our kids. Uh, you know, we've got uh, two grown um, adult children, our two daughters. They're, they're married. They've got, um, you know, their, their own lives, and they're here with us, and they, they help here at the church. And we've got our twin boys, and they're seniors this year in high school. And it's amazing how many people who either don't have kids or have really younger kids oftentimes like to come up and say, you know what I would do? <laughs> Man, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear what you're going to do. Great. Do it with your kids. Leave me alone. Get away from me. People suggest, you know, what to do, you know, with, with your money. And yet they're in debt up to eyeballs. You ever had anyone tell you that? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Some, some people never learn to smell their own stench. They think everybody else smells except for them. You walk in a room and everybody else is smelling so bad and you think that you're smelling fine, but you're the one that smells the worst in the whole room. Don't you just want to tell that to somebody? And verse 5 of Matthew 7 says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He did not forbid you from helping your brother with their issues, but mind your own business first. So if you want me to rank kind of church issues when it comes to judgmentalism in the church or judgmentalism in the culture, judgmentalism within church circles, um, I would rank in the top three people's inability to accept someone else's humanity. And this is where religion plays into this conversation because religion is judgmentalism all by itself. Because someone is not doing something that you think they should be doing, so you immediately brand them and label them based on your own perception of what they are not doing that you think they should be doing. Because, and, 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 and that somehow when people step inside a church atmosphere, our expectations of them become unrealistic because you think that the way they act for two hours in church is the way they are all the time. I mean, I, I've told our church, you know, you may see me preaching and operating in my gift, but my gift is not me. And listen, there's people who get caught off guard when they see me out at the mall, they see me grocery shopping, or they see me, you know, at at the baseball field or, uh, you know, football stadium, wherever. And I'm in my t-shirts and shorts and and I got my hat on and my sunglasses, man, I'm chilling. You think I walk around in in the stuff that I preach in every single week, every single day? (laughs) Heck no. And so if I'm standing at the, at the store in the, in the grocery store, uh, you know, I'm probably more aggravated than you are that there's 15 registers and two cashiers open, you know, uh, you know, well, oh, there's pastor Todd. He, you know, uh, he, he looks to be a perfect piece. No, I'm irritated and aggravated just like you. Cause I've been standing here for 20 minutes waiting to check my groceries out. I told our church, listen, I don't feel like praying for everybody all the time. That's when I'm in my gift. If you see me in the mall, don't come up to me and say, hey, pastor, can you pray for me? Right there while I'm trying to check out. I'm not operating in my gift right then and there. 
I might say, sure, I'll pray for you and keep going. But if you want me to go find some anointing oil somewhere and you want to have a Holy Ghost praise party right there in the middle of the store, depending on where I'm at in my mood, whether or not my wife has sent me to get something or I'm in a rush to go do something with my kids, I may or may not have that time. My gift is not me. Those are two different things. And my gift is for everybody. But Todd found out that he can't give himself to everybody. My gift is for the world, but my life is for a few. I'm going to say it again. Your gift is for the world. What God gave you, the mantle he gave you to carry is for the world. But your life, those who get inside your inner circle, that's only for a few. And the fact is, is we all have human places on the inside of us. We have problems, we have struggles, and the church has become a place where we hide them for two hours instead of a place where we bring them and are transparent enough to get them healed. And that concerns me because I believe it has become the exact opposite environment that Jesus intended. I believe this was supposed to be a hospital for humanity, not a museum for perfect people. That is not uh, what church is supposed to be like. If there's any place where a person can fall apart, it should be a church. If there's any place a person should be able to cry and process and work it through, it should be a church. If there's any place a person should be able to say they are struggling and they need help without condemnation, it should be at church. It's sad to me that you have to go into the world to not get condemnation and then come to the church and have it piled on your back when the fact is Jesus said he came to save, no, he didn't come to save the saved, he came to save that which was lost. In your church and in my church, there are no perfect people. I told our church before, I'm not a perfect pastor. The Bible does not teach that we are not to help each other. The Bible says we are to bear one another's burdens. We are to be healers and deliverers. But the greatest authority is not positional authority, not parental authority, not spiritual authority. The greatest authority is moral authority. And Jesus is talking about prioritizing your issues. In other words, we have people that get saved and immediately want to start working on everybody else. See, you don't have moral ground for me to follow you yet. If the thing that you are picking me apart about is more evident in your life than it is mine, right? And so Jesus said the first thing you do before you can be a, a caretaker of other lives is you need to spend some time on self-evaluating your weaknesses, your struggles, your issues, and work on your own humanity. And understand you need to see yourself more clearly before you go operating on everybody else. We can't, you know, you, you can't always be telling everybody else what's wrong with them if you haven't gone before God to find out first what's wrong with you. And if you'd look in the mirror, you'd find there are some things that need adjustment and, and confronting rather than being so confrontational about everybody else not meeting your standards. That is straight up religion. That's what causes a dissent in the body of Christ. That's what causes judgmentalism. Just like there's so many people in the church body today who look out in the world and they say, we don't like the dissent. We don't like the separation. We don't like the classism. We don't like all of that stuff that's happening. Do you even meet the standards that you set for everybody else in your church circle? I've told people if they lived up to half the standard they hold their pastor to, their life would be a whole lot better. You won't believe the, uh, the standard that a pastor gets held to. Well, if they would live up to the standard for one day, their life would be changed. Well, how can you judge me unless you've walked in my shoes? Unless you've sat where I've sat, been where I've been, felt what I felt. It's amazing how people have all the answers, but weren't raised the way you were. You haven't had their experiences. They haven't had your experiences. They didn't hear what was driven into your head all their life. You don't know the generational curses in the bloodline, but you have all the answers to the speck in my eye. Check yourself because you confronting your own issues under submission to your spirit then gives you the moral authority for me to respect you when you speak.
I told people before, don't tell them how to put their marriage back together while yours is a wreck. Don't tell somebody about money while you're up to debt, up to your eyeballs in debt. Don't, 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 don't come to me with what you've not managed well yourself. And I've noticed that there are people that just live offended. You ever notice that people just live offended and, and people that live offended. Let me tell you how you will notice them because you can never do anything right. <laughs> you ever get around those people? Everything's always wrong. I mean, you could do it to the T. You could do it perfectly and they will find something that they don't like about what you did. And they will chastise you for it. They will put you down about it. They'll condemn you about it. They'll say, well, you know, this could have been done differently. And you've done it absolutely perfect according to whatever layout has been created for you to follow. You can do it perfectly. And they'll still find a reason that it's not right. People that live offended, you you can't ever do anything right because they live offended. At some time, somewhere in their life, something got in them. And because of that, nobody can do anything right. So they live their entire life offended. Do you know a boat can go through a hurricane as long as no water gets in it and sinks it? But if the water gets in, the Bible talks about when storms come. The fact is storms are made to go through, but there's a lot of people that don't go through the storm. They let the storm get in. And what happens is they carry the storm for 20 years. There are so many people that can't function in peace because they've let too much of the water from the storm get inside their boat. Being in a storm and in a fight is so normal to you that if you get into a peaceful environment, you violate it. I want peace. I want peace. I want peace. Yeah. But every time you get into a peaceful environment, you violate the peace there because you you're so used to fighting. You're so used to thinking everybody's out to get you. And this is something that's got to be broken inside of Christian circles, inside of church circles. We cannot put out that I, that, that idea that, that someone's out to get us all the time. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will do whatever he needs to do to accomplish that. And you and I, as far as sin nature goes for Christians in this culture right now, the Bible says the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life will take you down. You don't have to sit there and try to uh, categorize your sins. There's three categories right there that every sin on the face of the earth fit into. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And, and being in a storm and in a fight, you got to understand that contention, strife, and fighting becomes so normal to some people that you try to bring everybody into your world who is just like that. And so these people are carriers of the storm. Everywhere they go, they bring a storm. You, you know, you got that one employee at work who you just know every single time you, you have a staff meeting or every time you have a, a group meeting uh, or you got to do a group project or you've got to work on something together, there's something that this person's going to do to cause dysfunction in that period of time you're together. You just know it. So you better be careful if you have a peaceful family and someone who marries a storm carrier. Because I don't care how peaceful the environment is, they are carrying a storm with them because at some time or another, they were supposed to pass through, but they didn't go through it. The water got in the boat. And now they have become a carrier of the storm. And the only environment that they're comfortable in is one that's confrontational. And you probably have experienced some of that over the past two years. If you have, if you had people in your, in your household or people in your family, people at work, uh, the people that go to school uh, who are in different categories of thinking than you are, you probably have seen the fight come out in some people over the past two years. And you know what happens if you give them peace? They will sabotage it with another fight because it's all they know because they carry that storm. But I believe God's helping, helping people to, to, to be healed from that. And I believe that God's holding the church to a higher standard than they do the fight. 
And I believe that there's got to be somebody that's tired of giving all of their energy and all of their fight and all of their anointing to fight people. We've got to bring peace to our house. And that's why Romans 14 says, the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. In other words, don't argue over disputable things. Not everybody's on the same spiritual level and everybody on every spiritual plane should be able to attend a church in a peaceful environment. You should be able to go to, a, to, to worship somewhere and not worry about what someone else is thinking about you or how someone's judging you. You know, you, know what I, you know what I see happening in America today? You got shallow Christians going to shallow churches. You got deep Christians going to more mature churches. Why? Because we can't accept where one another are spiritually. People are on different spiritual planes. And God calls out those here who have walked with him for a while and he says you must understand the new christian the casual christian the christian who has not had the depth of experience that you've enjoyed he said we have got to understand they will not live life with the same convictions that you do and if you are always preaching down their throat your standards you don't understand that godly standards are not pressed onto someone from the outside they are developed from the inside if we are going to see a generation change and if we're going to impact the culture we have got to stop passing religion religious judgment on the people that are in our circles, the people that are around us. They may not believe the same way. They may not think the same way. They may not be spiritually appraised the same way. But if, if number one, if they're in your circle, you better know what fruit they're going to be implanting and, and you're going to be producing because of their influence. But number two, you've got to understand what, what, what category do they fit in relationally? Are they going to stay outside that circle? Are, they going to, are you going to run with them? Are they an acquaintance? Are they a friend? Are they a comrade? Are they someone who is very close uh, uh, to your family? And, and, and as far as judgmentalism goes, you would, you would do better to stay quiet and pray that God would work in someone's heart than to walk around behind them all day and remind them of everything that you don't agree with. There are just some people, I mean, they go on the attack on social media. They will email you. They'll text you. They'll, they'll DM you, whatever they got to do. Everything they're doing wrong in their life, they got to they let you know. And the fact is that people that don't know God on a deep level they're not going to live life just like you. Their devotion life is not like you. Their behavior and conduct may not be like yours. But God is not calling out their lack of conduct. He's calling out your lack of patience and glory. That's why we've got to pray for those that attack you. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who are not at the same place you are. So, so he's not dissing on the person with the weaker faith. He's talking to the people who are judgmental towards those who don't live as, as godly as they do. He says, stop arguing among yourselves about the things other Christians do that you don't agree with. Everybody on every spiritual plane should feel welcome in our church. I tell that church, I tell our church that, right, that very thing. Everybody. Because your spiritual development is not up to me cleaning you out. I have not and will never be your cleaning agent. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. I tell our church, if you're not doing the things I wish you were doing, it's my responsibility to let the Holy Spirit take you on your own journey. And you've got to trust that same Holy Spirit that has a compassion for you is going to have the compassion for somebody else too. But listen, this isn't going to happen externally. It's going to happen internally. That's why the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. The man found and hid again. And from joy over, he goes and sells all that he has and buys, not the treasure, but he buys the field. Kingdom people live life in this way. They know that God hides great stuff under dirty stuff. You may have some dirty stuff in your life right now. You may got some people running in your life. You may have some people that you've been judging. But understand, while you judge the dirt, God sees the treasure that's hidden beneath the dirt. That's why as you pray, 
and you believe the best for their life, God gives you the grace that little by little, that dirt that's that's on their life, that stuff that you so just want to judge in the flesh, God gives you the grace, the peace, and the patience to endure that season so that you can see the gem, the jewel, the diamond in the rough that's beneath that dirt. Every treasure has got to be dug up. I've heard people say, well, my spouse didn't turn out to be what I thought they would be when I married them. Well, are you the excavator they thought you were going to be when they married you? Do you, do you, do you think it was all treasure and no dirt? I'm amazed at people. You know, we had somebody, when my wife and I were getting uh, um, um, engaged, there was someone that said, you know, are you sure you guys want to get engaged? My wife and I got married young. We've been married for 23 years, and man, we're just, in lo- just more in love with each other now than we were when we first got married. I mean, every single day, I just, I love my wife. She loves me. We love our kids. We have a great, great relationship. And I've heard people say, uh, when, when we were, when we were, um, contemplating uh, getting engaged and sharing that with people. We had somebody who was kind of mentors to us say, well, if you ever fight, then that's a sign that you're not to be married. So you guys need to make sure that you're not fighting because if you fight, that's a sign of what's to come. Shut up. You ever just want to look at somebody and just say, shut up, (laughs) because what's coming out of your mouth is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, that is the dumbest statement I've ever heard in my life. My wife and I have had arguments. We've fought over stuff, but we have the ability to rationalize our disagreements in our heart, in our faith, because we love each other. We don't lash out at each other. We don't throw stuff at each other. And I've heard people say, how in the world, how in the world do you get through uh, arguments in your marriage? Do you think it was going to be all treasure and no dirt? Did you really think when you said, I do, you were not going to be tried and tested inside of that covenant that you made at the altar? See, after you get married, you start realizing the stuff your parents warned you about the whole time. Come on. I don't care if it's a marriage or relationship with Jesus or the growth of a Christian. It doesn't matter. Great things are hidden under dirty places. And when you endure those trials and you endure those seasons of, of, of testing in your marriage, God gives you the grace to love each other even more. God gives you the ability to see beyond the faults and the failures and the disappointments to say, you know what? I love you for who you are. I love you for the person that God created you to be. And together with my failures and your failures and my faults, and your faults and the areas where I shine and the areas where you shine, we are going to become a force to be reckoned with. You've got to take the good with the bad. You've got to take the the stuff you love and the stuff you can't stand and learn to make it work together because nobody's perfect. Nobody has every single element of marriage perfect. No one has every single element of, of marriage right. So to judge your spouse in a condemning way is a dangerous thing to do because you can have very easily those same fingers that you're pointing at your spouse pointed right back at you. Treasures are hidden under dirty things. And if you talk to someone who mines for a living, they understand that some church people, you know, they they understand this thing. And a lot of church people don't understand this, but miners understand that the nature of, of treasure hunting is that you move a ton of dirt just to find one ounce of gold. And Jesus says the kingdom is like those who know how to turn over the dirt. They understand that dirt is just a process that comes with finding the treasure. There's nobody listening to this podcast right now that does not have something wonderful that God has planted as a seed deep down on the inside of them, and it's covered up by a little bit of dirt. 
I don't care how much of a troublemaker you've been, or maybe you listen to this podcast and you just got out of jail yesterday. There is a seed of greatness that God has planted inside of you. And God has given us a, a people, a community, a church where we can learn that when I meet you, I'm not going in looking for the dirt. I'm going in to move the dirt until I find the treasure. That's what we've got to start doing in this culture. We've got to learn to move the dirt until we find the treasure. Churches are notorious. Listen, I'm tired of churches full of dirt hunters. We need a church of treasure hunters. And if we're going to be a kingdom church, then we have to be willing to sit next to people with dirt and baggage and filth and junk. It's not for me to judge them. It's not for you to judge them, but it is for me to start helping them remove all the stuff in their life until the thing that's covering up the greatness is removed and revealed. Somebody listening needs to just thank God that when he came to you, he wasn't looking for your dirt, but he was looking for your treasure. And he had to look a long, 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 long way to pull out that treasure. Come on, somebody. Some of you have made, made God have to get dirty all by himself. Come on. So we know that, that a kingdom, as a kingdom church, and I believe that's what we should be, the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. The treasure is so valuable that he goes and buys all the dirt that goes with it. And he goes, you can read Matthew chapter 20. It just, it continues to talk about that. It's an incredible passage of scripture. But then when you get to Matthew 20, 14, he says this, take what is yours and go, but I wish to give this to the last man, the same as to you. But I wish to give to this last man, the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? You know what Jesus is saying? Just because you've been serving me for years doesn't mean the guy that's been there for three days can't get something that you don't have yet. The Bible says God is God and he will let it rain on the just and rain on the unjust. This is why judgmentalism fails the, the scriptural test every single time. God will do what God is going to do. And if you don't Listen, you don't have to serve God a certain amount of time to get a blessing. You don't have to serve God X amount of time to get favor. If God made a promise to you, he's going to keep it. If he made a promise to another person, he's going to keep that promise too. And I can't be getting mad at how God blesses somebody else because I think I deserved it more. Because God tells me that I can take my stuff and my blessings and spread them out to whomever I like, notwithstanding their works. Because some work more than others, but because I'm a good father, I'll bless them both. See, your good conduct helps you with you, but it doesn't put you in any greater graces with God. Jesus saved you, not your conduct. Now you reap what you sow and you can open the windows of heaven and you can operate the kingdom by your actions, but it does not make God love you more because you think you do better things than somebody else. Once you're in the house, God loves all the sons and daughters, the obedient and the disobedient, the one that everybody loves and the one that drives everybody crazy, the responsible and the irresponsible. He says in 2 Corinthians 7, therefore having these promises, beloved, he said, take the log out of your own eye. And I noticed that, that the word speck and plank, if you look at it in the Greek, they're, they're made from the same substance, but of, of different size. In other words, what you usually notice in someone else, you're struggling with on a greater level. I don't always preach against sin. This is why. Whatever I'm preaching about, people are doing. I don't preach against sin because I preach for God. Religion would be me telling you what your sin is and why you should do what I tell you to do. 
And an old church would still want that. But then those same people don't like the rules. But the fact is, they do like the rules. Why? Because the more rules I give, the less you have to be led. So we want to go to church so a pastor can tell us the do's and don'ts, which means I, as a pastor, have to take on the responsibility of having to listen to the Spirit of God for myself. I'm not in charge of your personal life. This is why judgmentalism is not accessible and not available in the church. I'm not in charge of your life. You've got to hear God for yourself. All I've got to do as a pastor is speak the word. All I've got to do is sow the seed. And where it falls, that depends on the hearer. So what do you do with this plank in your eye? Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Take responsibility and quit blaming everybody from your parents down, because it says flesh and the spirit. I bet many have never heard of a filthy spirit. <laughs> Growing up, I would, that's a filthy spirit. You know, you could always hear it. And, and this generation doesn't usually uh, use that, that phrase. But we always view spirit as clean and flesh is messed up. But the, lust, the, the flesh lusts against the spirit. But perfect holiness is when you have cleansed your flesh and your spirit. Church people love sins of the flesh because people without sins of the flesh are laid out bare and can't be hidden. And church people love to stick their finger at them. An addict gets to a place where they can't hide their sin. The track marks up their arm, the cuts on the arm. No money, credits are wrecked, they've spent their rent money. Sins are laid bare. The same with a perversion or a person with any type of behavior or conduct or problem. Sooner or later, it's laid out before everybody. And see, the church loves those sins because all the people who cash in on the sins of another are like, see, I told you so. Well, if you really love the Lord, you ever heard anyone say that to you? Well, if you really love the Lord, if they really believed in Jesus, if they were really serious about turning their life around, But see here, there is a filth that is greater than your conduct. Filth of the spirit is so lethal because it can hide inside the four walls of a church. Filth of the spirit has nothing to do with conduct. It has to do with attitude. And there's people that can come to church. They can mask their conduct for a couple of hours, but their attitude is always contentious. It's angry, hateful, cruel, spiteful, judgmental, bitter, unforgiving, better than you. I could keep going. Their attitudes. And the people that have the filth of the spirit will tell you about all they don't do and they make excuses for everything. And they may not have done all the stuff that another person has, but often they are just as mean as the devil. Why is it? I mean, come on, let's be real. I've grown up in church my whole life, so I can say it. Why have church people been so mean and so rude and so judgmental and so difficult and so harsh and so heavy handed? over the past couple of generations. It's amazing, amazing to see what church looks like today versus where it was 30, 40 years ago. See, I don't care what you you don't do if you have an old nasty spirit. I could care less. And the behavior doesn't matter because I can feel your attitude when I get around you. I can feel you looking down on me. I can feel you judging me. I can feel you thinking I'm worth nothing. And God said that perfect holiness is not when you've got your behavior straightened out. It's when you've reined in your conduct and you have checked your attitude. And when, 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 when God wants to use every struggle that you've had, he wants to use every dark place. He wants to use every valley, just like he wants to use every mountaintop. God wants to use the issues you've had to get victory over. When you can empathize with somebody and say, yeah, me too, there's a comfort that you bring somebody when they know they're not the only one who's fought that battle, and especially if they see you coming out of it victoriously. 
Your testimony is a powerful thing. And God is not forbidding you from using your issues to bless another person. But he's saying first, to have the moral ground to approach someone else, you first got to make sure you've looked at yourself rightly. You've judged yourself rightly. So while we are looking at what's happening all over the culture, while we're looking at what's happening in the world, when you look at what's happening inside the church, let's make sure that we've got the mirror out. Let's make sure that we are modeling the heart of Jesus everywhere we go, that we are not talking out of both sides of our mouth. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's make sure we are unified in our thinking. Let's wait, make sure that we are unified in our thoughts. Make sure our spirit is cleansed. Make sure our heart is cleansed. Our mind, our mouth are pure before God and let the testimony that God has developed in you be a, be a shining beacon of light to a lost and dying generation. We are in some of the craziest times in our culture and the, the word of God needs to be released in a non-judgmental way, but in a way that pierces the very heart of this culture right now. If you condemn somebody and you are judging somebody right off the bat, you are turning them off to the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are supposed to be releasing to this culture. We are to be compelling them in the highways and the byways, not with, not with just, you know, get saved and then you can just keep on going and living a life that you want to live, but you can get saved and then God can shape your life the right way. He's illuminated your pathway. He has ordered your steps and God can give each and every lost person a plan and a purpose to fulfill on the earth. I pray that wherever you are, that God will use you as a beacon, as a light, in a non-judgmental way to change somebody's life. I believe that there are people people he's put in your sphere, people at work, people in your family, people in your community, people in your neighborhood, people that God has destined for you to walk into their life and not judge them, but look at them with eyes of love and compassion and say, you know what? This is the reason that God has brought me into your life. And I am going to be a shining beacon of light so that you can step into a tomorrow full of hope. Listen, I'm praying for you. I love you. I believe the best is yet to come. I believe that we are about to see the greatest move of God in this nation and around the world. You and I are a part of it together. God has created you and me to be shatterproof because of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. You can connect with me online at ignitechurchvt.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Pastor Todd Callahan. You can download our app by searching your Google Play Store and your App Store for Ignite Church VT. I pray that God gives you an incredible week. I pray that God opens up many doors. I pray that God does something above and beyond anything you could ever think of, hope of, or imagine. Go change the world.